Hi there, and welcome to episode 50 of Neil Before Odd. I'm Audrey Kearns, and thanks for listening wherever and whenever you are. I'm very excited for you right now. The interview you're about to hear was recorded last week at the nerd mecca that is San Diego Comic-Con. You see, in the beginning of the year, my website, Geek Girl Authority, covered a story that Lionsgate acquired the rights to an as-yet-to-be-released science fiction book called The Punch Escrow by Tal M. Klein. Tal read that post and reached out to Geek Girl Authority and sent an advanced reader's edition of the book to read. So I read it. I loved it. I haven't been that excited for a science fiction book in a while, and I can't recommend it enough to my listeners. It was just released this week, so let me give you some advice. Run to the store and buy it, or, you know, walk fast to your computer and order it, or lift up your phone and, hey, download it on Audible because Matt Mercer is narrating, so you know it's going to be good. You will not be disappointed. So back to Comic-Con, I met Tal at Carnival, put on by Geek and Sundry and Nerdist, which was quite apropos since Tal won the hard science fiction contest, which was hosted by Geek and Sundry on their Inkshare imprint. I chatted with him about his nerd origin story, growing up, his first trip to SDCC, and of course, the punch escrow. It's a wonderfully nerdy conversation, and Tal couldn't have been a more gracious guest. I look forward to reading his next book, but for now, I've already started reading The Punch Escrow for a second time for reals. So please don't forget to check out geekgirlauthority.com for all your pop and geek culture news. You can also listen to my other podcasts, Booze and Phasers and Five Truths and a Lie. You can find those on geekgirlauthority.com iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Also, head over to iTunes for a review for Neil Before Odd, a rating or review, whatever you choose. If you are so inclined, I'd be ever so grateful for your help and support of this podcast. But for now, please enjoy your walk, your workout, your commute, your cleaning as you listen to episode 50 of Neil Before Odd with novelist Tal M. Klein. Internet, heed this call. Open your minds and ears and prepare yourselves to kneel before Oz. Hi, and welcome to Kneel Before Odd. I'm your host, Audrey Kearns, and this is the show where I interview geek patriots. I am at San Diego Comic-Con right now, and I'm at Carnival at the Geek and Sundry Carnival, and I'm sitting with novelist Tal M. Klein, whose book, The Punch Escrow, is set to release on July 25th of next week. Hi, Tal. Yeah, hi. How you doing? I've come to Neil before odd. Exactly. <laughs> I like that you picked up on it really quick. <laughs> Sometimes I have to coax my guests to get down on their knees. Come on. It's the only Superman. Superman. Come it's the on. only time where the, the sequel has outdone the first. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of the best scenes ever. Yeah. Come on. I, the, what is it? Um, oh, is it the Phantom Universe? Where they're sent the Phantom to? Zone. The Phantom Zone. Thank yeah. you. Um, since I was so young when I saw that movie, when they first sent those three into the Phantom Zone, I had nightmares for a very long time. It freaked me. Yeah. I actually love the idea of the Phantom Zone because that, there's a lot of appealing things about it. You don't get old. Yes, that's true. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. They, I, but what about quality of life? <laughs> Is that important to you or not? Well, I mean, it, it really depends. Do you see the Lego movie where yes, everybody that was gets great. Some, uh, It's The Phantom Zone seemed like a lot of fun. It did. It wasn't like all like, the bad guys. It was very place. different from what you saw in Superman yeah. too. You know, <laughs> my favorite line. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Yes. My favorite line in that movie is when the, uh, 
all the villains come down from the Phantom Zone and they're explaining who they are. This is so and so, so and so, and these are the Daleks, and like the nerds will know. Yeah. <laughs> that made me. That was my biggest laugh. There was a, the a recently a, uh, an image going around on uh, Twitter of a one of those new uh, mall cops, like the digital mall cops. It looks yeah. like looks like a Dalek. And it fell into the mall fountain. I saw, okay, I saw the picture <laughs> when I was scrolling through, but I didn't read, yes. And I was like, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Exterminate, I didn't know exterminate, splash. Splash. We got to get better. So uh, is this your first San Diego Comic-Con? This is my first, yeah. So I've never been before. when did yeah. you get here? Uh, we, I got here, yes, no, two days ago, because my kids really want... I, I brought my whole family down. Right. Uh, and my, we went to this, the safari yesterday, which is... Uh, San Diego's uh, oh, safari, it? yeah, 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 yeah. That's well, the, the safari specifically, I think. Oh, about, okay. Which is different. And then uh, my kids today are are at Sea World, and um, they're coming. They're gonna do, we're going to do the con tomorrow. We're going to do Artist Alley and all that kind of stuff that's with the kids. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, be prepared. It's going to be super, super slammed. I know. Yeah. Well. No, no. I mean, it's fun. I mean, everybody should definitely, definitely, definitely go. It's just if you've got kids with you, make sure that. Uh, how old are they? I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. They're both All girls. Right. Keep them yeah. close. I mean, everybody's cool. It's just that there's so many crowds. Right. That, you know. But it's also going to be one of the coolest things your kids have ever seen. I, you know, they're they're driving me down here, and and they got to see somebody dressed up as a shark, <laughs> and they were so excited. <laughs> and I, I think we saw like the Geico gecko also. Oh wow! And I was like, that's a very interesting thing to come to Comic Con yeah, dressed at. Does he is he a comic character? Like, is there like well, a gecko? What you'll find is like sometimes people have thrown the genre stuff out the window and just do these strange <laughs> mashups or these strange. Last year I saw Flo, the progressive woman, you know, and uh, the, that, that actress happens to be a good friend of mine, and I called her up. I was like, you know, Stephanie, uh, or I emailed her. Uh, people at Comic Con are dressed like you. She's you have, very iconic. You I like have her arrived. A lot. Yeah. 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 Um, so I start off all my podcasts, Spring Hill Before Odd, with one question: uh, What is your nerd origin story? What are you geeky about? Um. Yeah, you asked me. What's What's weird is you actually prepped me for it, but I'm still like I've got so many competing things that. Well, I've gotten I, so many dirty looks when I don't prep people. So. I know, no, no, yeah. Well, it's like a Desert Island question. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm also a musician. Like so, a lot of times when I do interviews for music, like like what's your Desert Island disc? And like I, I swear I answer a different question every of time course. because that's how it is. So I'll give you any the, given moment. It'll be a different okay, answer. Okay, as long as that's understood. Yes. So, so to yes. me, that's my. Yes. What is that? Uh, for me, it would actually be uh, the first time I played uh, Dungeons and Dragons. How old were you? Uh, I was 12, I want to say. Cool. So a little older because I came from Israel. So I uh -huh. grew up in Israel. I didn't really know about it. One of, my, the, one of the friends I made here in the States kind of got me into it. And and, uh, and I'd say that, you know, it was just this phenomenal awakening that, that I could directly participate in fantasy. Yeah. And I was like, huh, I don't have to dream it. I could, like, kind of be in it and, yeah. and, and create my own plot points and stuff like that. And, and uh You'll appreciate this. So, like, my my character is a dwarf called Ironforge Bladeshaper, uh -huh. and the way I kind of created his own personalities is he wields a sword, but he calls it axe because he doesn't want I to be because all dwarves are supposed to wield axes. Exactly, I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did that open? Did you start doing a lot more board games, or did you stick to Dungeons and Dragons a lot, or did that lead to reading fantasy, say? Or yeah, exactly. Fiction? So, so once you start, yeah, for me anyway, once I started getting into Dungeons and Dragons, I really started to get into the the Forgotten Realms books, and, uh -huh. and it's a you know it's a very very it's it's a very expensive uh, uh, hobby to get into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the books part, but you know it was really cool. We we always got it. We got you know we had uh, Dungeon Magazine and. 
Dragon and like uh, really got into uh, reading anything that Ed Green, Ed, anything that Ed Green would wrote. Uh-huh. I was really really into, uh, and that got me into a lot of other things as well. Yeah, so you that know? was so, your gateway. That was your. That was my I like, gateway. That's a good uh, origin story. Um, so you said you grew up in. How long were you in Israel? So born and raised. For I was a bit born in Israel. Israel. Uh, we moved here when I was around ten and a half. Cool. Um, to my, where? To Long Island, New York. Oh wow! All right. Yeah, Strong Island, Strong the five one six, as we call it. <laughs> How'd you like uh, Long Island? I couldn't was wait it... to get off of Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Um, where where did you live in Israel? In Haifa. So was it? Um, which is a pretty big it's city, a, right? It's a big city. It's a, it's, a, it's coastal too, which is really nice, nice, and the weather's great. Yeah. And you move to Long Island that has like legitimate East Coast winters and. So it, it was yeah. culture shock and environmental shock, basically. I love it. Actually, you know, I love it. Long Island culture separate from American culture. I loved American culture in Israel. You know, like yeah. for me, it was just I was always watching American shows and, and um, uh, I loved everything about I mean, this was a time in Israel where America was where everything cool came from. Right. Right. You know, well, we were still cool. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now we're having issues with our, <laughs> but that's not what this podcast is. Yeah. About. Now, I'm, now I'm a Canadian. No, but, uh, but anyway, it's just, it was also, I came to the States. I really took it all in and I, yeah. I really appreciated all facets of American culture. I couldn't wait to get to Disneyland, Disney world. And, and you know, uh, it was amazing because in Israel at the time, you know, we got all the American shows like two seasons later. Uh-huh. So just being able to sort of see things as they were happening versus like two years after the fact was a really cool culture right, shock. Right. Um, and I loved. I really embraced American culture. I, I still. I still do think that it, we're in an amer- amazing place. You yeah. know. I mean, despite oh, ab- current political conditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why um, people fight so strongly for what we believe in yeah, right I agree. now in America. But I had the same kind of. I. I Grew up in Hong Kong. Well, I grew up overseas until I was ten. I moved wow. to Florida when I was ten because my parents were in the military. So, uh, I think Africa, Hungary, and Hong Kong. But in Hong Kong was the most um, modern of the places I lived because Hungary was still the Cold War. But we got movies, like you said, it was always right, later. later, you know. And um, so we got Star Wars later. Right. And then and then they weren't rated either. Right. So Alien came out, and my you had par- to see it. My parents, no, well. My parents were so excited because an American movie's here and it's downtown Hong Kong, so let's go. And we're sitting there and the chestburster scene is happening. Nice. We just, um, it's fresh in my mind because my mom just rewatched the movie and we were all <laughs> reminiscing about it. Um, that, uh, uh, and so it started happening and my mom just whipped her hands over my eyes so that um, I couldn't see. And through my, the, the cracks of my mother's hands, I could see my dad just giggling because he thought it was so funny and my sister was next to him and she was giggling and I'm like I'm the one that's being punished and my mom was like we're leaving and my dad goes god damn it <laughs> and we had to we leave. Had the same thing in Israel so my parents were not as sensitive to my needs so like <laughs> if something came out of a chest no, I was watching it. my mom it. was very strict so but um yeah I totally get that so now you're growing up in Long Island because yeah. we're going to get to obviously the punch escrow sure. and, and everything. I'm just curious to know. So we found out that you did start to like genre stuff around 12. Yeah. With, uh-huh. You start with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, were you writing it while you were young, yes. in high school and, and such? But you're also a musician. Was one taking precedence over the other? It was usually one or the other. Uh, I started with writing. I started writing a lot of sci-fi. Um, you know, like I said, it, I, 
even before Dungeons and Dragons, like one of the first books I picked up, my my aunt was really into Anne McCaffrey, so she always had Pern books in her house. So right. that was really interesting. Um, I finally read those at my age two years ago. All the <laughs> Pern books. I mean, they're interesting. It's a yeah. very, very good spin. I think Anne yeah. McCaffrey was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And I think that um, even after I got to like Larry, uh, Larry Niven, Niven, I never know how to pronounce the last name. Um, the End Space, Ringworld, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, um, yes, that's a good book. So, I, and, and then the Forgotten Realms. So immediately I started getting ideas, you know, yeah. and it kind of combined all of them. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you, that is now kind of happening where we're, uh, especially on the Nerdist show, like Because Science, like where we analyze, like, what's the science behind the dragons and right, Game right. of Thrones? Which like, is such a brilliant idea. And, and, and to me, that's like something that's mother's milk. Like, I, that's where my brain goes. Like, yeah. I, see, I see something fantastic and I'm like, Huh? How would that work? You know, yeah. that's kind of like, and so I would start writing all these uh, stories. In fact, one I once wrote a story that made my parents worry. They actually took me to a, a therapist because they wrote a story where um, it was a society where we cure disease, and so like there was sort of mandated euthanasia. Oh wow! And my parents are like, "Why does he want to kill everybody?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "I'm not. There's just not going to be any enough room, any room on Earth." I'm like, "It's very logical." So, so, so I'm. This is always curious to me because I've been the late bloomer and everything. It's just. Since I was a child, I held my head up three months after I was supposed to. I'm just a late bloomer and everything. And that's with writing and, and being creative as well. And I don't know if that's coming from a military family and going to Catholic school where there really wasn't much, um, I don't know, like, go for it, Audrey. Be creative. You sure. know, instead of stay inside these just lines. Just do what God tells you. Exactly. So do you, were your parents very encouraging of writing yeah. and stuff? Oh, yeah. My parents are, you know, they're... It's very interesting because you know we're, they're Israelis. A lot of people think Israelis, or at least nowadays less so. But back back when I moved to Long Island, people always assumed that Israelis were very religious. And mm -hmm. my parents are, you know, they're as far away from. We we went to like temple, I think, like twice a year. Same amount yeah. of time people like. You're, you're like a Christmas and Easter Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think we went, yeah, Rosh Hashanah yeah. and Yom Kippur, I think, whatever. And and. But they were always just like, what, you know, go for it. I mean, they were, they're very encouraging in my creative pursuits. Um, so important. So important. You know, they always, they would watch what I was into. Like, they got me into video games really early, like my oh, yeah. dad. Yeah, my dad's like, go play video games. Like, you like that stuff, go do it. You, you know? had awesome parents. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. It's just that they thought, I mean, when I graduated from college, there was no way I was never going to have, not have a roof over my head and my bills paid on time just because that's what we focused on is survival rather than the creative I can't part. even tell you the amount of times my parents picked me up from like almost going yeah bankrupt yeah <laughs> so it's just like two different <laughs> areas of thought but I, I think that you're very I think lucky. they're still shocked that I'm not living in their basement or something <laughs> they, they, every, they have a bed made up they're waiting for you that's true one actually. day Tal gonna give us a call honey. they still to this day they always get hotel rooms with like two beds <laughs> just in case just in case I love it. I think that's fantastic. Um, so I read that your daughter wrote her first book before you wrote a complete yes. book. Is that true? Yeah, it's absolutely so true. So what happened? Uh, she's just smarter than I am. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, Kids always are smarter than parents. I have one that just graduated college she, with two degrees in urban studies and literary journalism. You see? Like just, and I was like, I have a theater yeah, degree. <laughs> yeah. So take that, Mom. Exactly. Good job, Mom. Look at you. I have two degrees. How many degrees do you have? Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, I think my daughter, like, Iris specifically, she... 
she always got bored of stories. Like she never wanted the same story read twice. Uh -huh. And we just were running out of ability. Like we were just buying books like every single night because she didn't want the same story. So like one one night I had this idea like where why don't you why don't we make up our own story? And she just jumped at the opportunity. So we we're making up our own stories. And at the time, she was like four years old, and she was into uh, Dino Dan, uh -huh. which is a terrible show <laughs> for adults to watch. It's like this kid. <laughs> it's this kid who sees dinosaurs, like oh. real dinosaurs. Uh -huh. So he's like a fantasy and science fiction, I guess, because like he sees dinosaurs. And was, like he and they use it, they use it as a way to. I don't, don't want to say it's a terrible show. Let me <laughs> let's edit that part out. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's a hard show for an adult Pretty to much. watch. Kids love it. It's yeah. hard for adults. It's, um, that makes, it's a lot of cartoons. But she started coming up with dinosaurs. And she's like, I came home from work one day and she's like, Daddy, when you come back, when you come home from work, you're an exhaustosaurus. And then I was like, oh. And then like That's at night clever. she would like start to come up with all these dinosaurs. And she's like, she's like, Daddy, I was, uh, you know, when I ate my lunch, I was a Munchosaurus Rex or something like that. And like, so I started like, I was like, That's great. Like, let's just keep writing those down. And my friend John, uh, who goes by the name, he's like an artist, uh, uh, he goes by the name Super Ugly. Uh, he was doing the artwork for my album at the time, which I ended up calling Exhaustosaurus was the name of the album. And I was telling him about Iris and where I got the idea, because he asked me, like, where did you get the idea? And I said, you know, it's, Iris has all these dinosaurs that she's making up at night as her own back, bedtime stories. And he's like, let's just make a book out of them. That's so cool. And we did. And it's called I'm a Bunch of Dinosaurs. It was like, at the time, it was like one of the most successful Kickstarter, like, like, you guys uh, did a Kickstarter for it. That's fabulous. Yeah. I love it. And so it was published. Oh, yeah, it was published. Like, yeah, yeah. So did I she... sent uh, Jenny That's a copy. right. I gotta, we got to let Jenny know because she loved the book, but she's like, I don't know. I think his wife wrote it. She wasn't... No, it wasn't my daughter, clear to, yeah. It wasn't clear. She'll love that because yeah. Griff is uh, two now, her little one, and he, you know... Jenny and her husband, they're both uh, incredible improvisers and okay. actors. And so it's nothing but like what you did with your daughter, making things up and everything. So Griff and my daughter, um, that's not my role. That's my, my husband's a writer. So they did what you did with her. Um, they did the adventures of Bottle and Spout is what they came okay. up with, which was a whale and a dolphin that would travel along together. So every night when they went to bed, they'd just say, somebody would say a few sentences and then the other person, and they'd create the story together. And I love that your daughter just kept thinking about it after you were gone. We had, I think we had like a hundred dinosaurs that I, oh my, that was, God, my role so was great. editor. I had to go, <laughs> go in and be like, okay. So John would be like, John would be like, well, I think this one would be an interesting, like, like my, my daughter's favorite is the hip hopadon. Hip hopadon? Yeah. It's like a, it's, he's got like uh, sneakers and like, he's, he's, he's popping a squat. He's like doing like a, a position, you know, like, uh -huh. and cause she was taking hip hop classes and dancing. And uh, so John, like John, John's thing would be like, these are the ones that I think are most interesting. Mm -hmm. But she would really editorialize. She'd be like, no, but I, you know, I've got like she's got when I'm not feeling very well, I'm a groggy saurus. <laughs> and and she would like tell John, like it'd be like, I need one. You know, this one needs to have a, you know, a thermometer and, mm -hmm. and a blanket and oh like she's so cute, so creative. Yeah. So um, did that inspire you to get started? I mean, she did. To... She asked me why I haven't written a book. And, and you took that to heart. Because I said, look, Iris, you know, like this book you wrote, we, we get, we still, to this day, we get pictures of, from people who get the book and they show us pictures of their kids uh -huh. uh, reading the book. And, and, I, and I'm like, your, your book makes lots of kids happy. And she said, Daddy, why don't you write a book and make lots of grownups happy? Oh, my and God. And I was like, from the mouth okay, I, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> talk I, about a catalyst to action, right? Yeah. It's like, and so uh, was the punch escrow the, what you started on? Yeah. That is a, that's amazing. So, okay, let's get to the book. The Sorry. Punch Escrow. 
Um, it's your first novel, as My you first just novel. stated. Uh, it won a contest for a Geek and Sundry Hard Science Fiction Contest, yes. right? Um, but let's talk about the book first, and then I want to find out uh, what it was like to go through that contest sure. thing. So the book uh, takes place in 2147. There's peace. Yes. No pollution. And this is a favorite thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidebar here. But the favorite thing is uh, there's no pollution because mosquitoes eat carbon <laughs> emissions. Okay? Right. And so I've had this habit since I finished the book that you sent me a couple months ago. Of whenever like I'm out having drinks with friends and we're outside, yeah. I always like you got because LA is you yeah. can only see a haze. That's right. And then I start telling them, oh, you gotta read this book. You see <laughs> these mosquitoes, they eat carbon emissions, <laughs> so there's no pollution. Right. But when they pee, they pee H2O. And right. So every once in a while, you're gonna feel some mist. Right. I'm always met with blank stares, <laughs> you know, which is kind of how Joel feels in the book about it. Yeah. You kind of think about it, but you don't. But that's one of my my, it's it's such a nice touch. Thank and you. And I'm talking about it all the time. Anyway, there's there's no pollution. Right. Um, it, it, in this in this future world, humans are very healthy and can travel by teleportation. Right. Teleportation is handled by a very powerful corporation, International right. Transport. I love their slogan. Departure, arrival, delight. <laughs> it's fantastic. So. That's um, what those shirts, we're giving away those shirts here. I'm going to go get one. Yeah, I go. Get one. Oh, and, and I brought my book for you to sign. Okay. Okay, will you sign it? Please? I'll sign it, yes. Okay, don't say no, because then this interview is over. I brought <laughs> I brought special gold pens. Excellent. I brought a Sharpie, but I like the gold yeah. pen better. I, I, was I actually have gold Sharpies. <laughs> there you go. See? We, we, we come together. All right. Um, so our protagonist, Joel Byram, yes. um, who ends up going through the... And, and, I'm going to, since the book comes out next week, I'm going to be as spoiler-free as possible. No, you can do spoiler. Because most, in fact, most of the things that people think are the spoiler are not actually the spoiler. Okay. So, like, the fact that Joel gets duplicated is not a spoiler. Well, I knew that uh, wasn't, okay. like, because like, that's on the jacket. Okay, got it. That's on the jacket. Um, but I wanted to let my listeners know that I'm not ruining okay. ruin anything for right, Audrey's going to ruin the book for you now. Everything. Um, so, Joel Byram ends up getting duplicated, hijinks ensue, corporate yes. conspiracies happen, yes. an anti-teleportation religious sect is involved, and of course Those there's bastards. love. And there's there's love. love. It's adventure, it's science fiction, it's romance, and I'm going to say it, this is so cheesy, but it's a real page turner. It's a page turner, yeah. <laughs> It is. Um, how'd I do? How was my description? That was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, my I, favorite one was actually, uh, this was good, my favorite one was uh, I heard on a podcast recently. Yeah. And uh, it's... it's uh, a woman was talking about it, and she said she was talking about the footnotes. And she I have said, that in my notes, "Oh, you have a question? Yeah. I'll save it." Okay. No, 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 no. We'll get to the footnotes no, later. No, no, no. What did she say about the footnotes? She said that you know, she said that uh, what she enjoyed about the book is that she read it, she read the book uh, on its own, and then, and then she treated the footnotes as a choose-your-own-adventure because they're not, you don't oh, have. That's to, a good. Idea. I say, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. have to read the footnotes to, like, to enjoy yeah. to understand the plot. They just go. The footnotes dive deeper into the world. Yeah. That, that's true. That, that is true. You don't have to read it. But here's the thing about the footnotes. Let's talk about them. Okay. So what you're doing. So we're following Joel Byram, who's yeah. the, the protagonist. And in the beginning, there's more footnotes than the end because right. you're using them to set up what's going on in the world. Right. You know, the science of the world, um, the history right. uh, of the world. And it's really, really helpful. And then once you get into the flow of reading it with the footnotes and everything, it just it just goes... I'm nodding. Like I'm nodding my head. He's you nodding. guys can see this in the podcast. <laughs> um, so Joel, you know, he's a salter. Yes. He trains AIs. Yes. So what does that mean and why did you call him a salter? So two things. First of all, his job, one of the things I wanted to do is I hate dystopian sci-fi. Uh-huh. I love um, it. 
What's that? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I hate it is because I feel like, especially now in our society, you know, we need things to look forward to, you know, and uh, right. And I just feel like it's such a it's so easy to say everything's going to fall apart. Yes. And we have to we have to do a do over and stuff like that. So I wanted. One of the things I constantly hear about in the tech world, you know, my day job, is how people are worried about losing their jobs to AI, to automation, all that stuff. And I wanted to show that, that in the future that's automated and everything is powered by AI, there are still jobs. Yeah. You know, people are still living a life, are employed, have a good time, are able to be in love and all that kind of stuff. So that's number one. The salting, uh, the origins of salting are from cryptography where a salt is what you would introduce into like uh, in, into a code mm -hmm. and you would use the salt to, to basically introduce chaos into the code so that only those who ha who knew what the salt was could decrypt the algorithm mm -hmm. so you'd use so that's a way to like how the enigma machine like if you had the idea was to introduce salts into al into algorithms such that only the person the intended receiver would know how to you know yeah. unencrypt it uh, and salting just in Joel's world sort of has evolved yeah. into salting AI code. Yeah. You know, when we um, a lot of things when you when you train AI, artificial intelligence, a lot of it is like the the code is watching humans interact with with it, yeah, and is learning from that. And that learning process is what I decided would become salting. I love it. You know, yeah, it, it, it's 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 such a great idea, and I love that there's um, in the book there's different levels of AI, right. you know, and so that's what Joel's job is, right. is sometimes AIs themselves, they right. want to learn about getting a sense of humor, and so he can make some extra cash, chits. Right, because because they we actually pay apps directly. Yeah. So the, the apps themselves collect money from us to, uh, to uh, you know, if we want to use their functionality. Yeah. You're no longer paying a developer. Yeah, yeah. And then in some way, even though he's a salter, he's still kind of a... Um, uh, not a slacker, but he's oh, he's a slacker. He I think it's fine. You know, the thing about he's such a great pro protagonist because um, here you have a hard science fiction book with an everyday guy, an average living an average life who's having marital yeah. problems, yep. which is very. I mean, look around <laughs> all these people. There's probably yep. thirty percent that are having problems in yeah. the relationship right now. That's that that that's life, um, and it actually makes him very approachable and very likable. You know. And we see this through his eyes. What's even better is that when the duplication happens and the pace in the book quickens, you feel like you're living it in real time with Joel. Right. Which which I found very fun. And it kind of, um, and for all intents and purposes, he's a very normal guy. And it kind of goes with what you're saying about dystopian sci-fi. Is is this book wasn't bleak? Right. You know, it wasn't like oh, the world's gonna end. Like shitty things happen know. in the future, but yeah. the future is not a terrible place. Exactly. Yeah. There's. Uh, evil corporations, there's evil corporations now. There's yep. uh, religious cults, there's religious cults now. Yep. So it's just turned up a notch right. and in a different, a world with different different uh, technology. Yes. You know, and um, and about that technology, um, did you look for help or did oh, yeah. you research everything? I'm not a scientist. Look, it's my first disclaimer when anybody has like, what is it like to write a hard science book? I would say that my mom, who is a, who is a scientist, she's, she's a biologist, uh, was shocked to find that I would write a hard science fiction book, considering I like, almost Who failed. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I almost failed science several times in high school. So, um, I, you know, I definitely had a lot of help. That's why I always say, like, make make smart smart friends in high school. 
because <laughs> you'll need them later on in life. you'll need them later on in life. Um, I leaned on a lot of people to help me come up with it. And in fact, there's a lot of things that we had to do uh, that I had to invent that I had to completely, what I wanted to do, I had to completely change because it wasn't scientifically plausible. Um, and so a lot of those ideas yeah, came from you know, being able to rely on friends who are, who are either biologists. I, I actually worked with a, a lady who works at Oxitec and her, she's a gene editor. She works, her job is to make oh, wow. mosquitoes, to edit mosquitoes genes so that they that don't, yeah, they, they, she, they're treating, they're fixing malaria and Zika and all kinds of stuff. So it's amazing. Um, That's really cool. Were you able to, I mean, you're writing about it and I, this is sometimes I, it takes me two or three times to actually grab the concept of something that's really complicated at times. Um, so when you're talking, getting, doing your research with these scientists, um, did you wrap your head around it really quick? No. Or it, it was like that, you, you had to really ruminate with it. And, Which or, I think helps in creating yeah. the book, the world, because I think the fact that I didn't and the fact that I asked lots of questions uh -huh. uh, forced me to, to be more accurate yeah. in my descriptions of things. You know yeah. what I mean? I think if I pretended like I got it uh, and just did one round, I'd probably get my hand slapped a lot more. I still expect some percentage of the, like, at this point we've had like a lot of people at JPL read it and like a lot of, yeah. so it's, it's, it's been pretty well received by the scientific community, but I'm still expecting at any given point somebody to be like, that's not how that would work. And I'd be oh, like, sorry. There's always going to be one. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> you know, and I, I, heck, I remember reading a few years ago about an experiment they did where they actually were able to transport oh, this just happened. Uh, an a, a, like an atom or photon. something. A, a photon. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just like, it's going they just on, did people. That. They just did that. Uh, I think last week they announced that they were able to teleport a photon from Earth to orbit. Oh, no, this was just from one I know, end that was, uh, to a room up to no, the I'm end. Saying oh, we've, no, I'm wow. look, look at how little time has passed, and we're already teleporting photons to orbit. So Gosh, you guys, it's My happening. book is very timely, y'all. Yeah. And then, so... The, the wonderful, the way you bring the reader into the world of how teleportation works is just absolutely fascinating. And um, you talk about the Mona Lisa. Yeah. And that's not a spoiler, do you think? Should no. Okay. So the no, that's we, a fact. There's two Mona Lisas. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that was, <laughs> I didn't know, which was awesome. Yeah. I learned something. Um, we lose a Mona Lisa, so it makes everybody through teleportation really careful and scared about, because of a solar storm. Right. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it, one of the things that was always missing to me in sci-fi as I started, it, this all came about through a weird scenario where I was just complaining about lens flare and the new J.J. Abrams, like, uh, uh, the first Star, trailer for <laughs> Star Trek reboot. And somehow, somehow that was the inception of this story because uh, my boss at the time said uh, the transporters were all bullshit and nobody in the right mind would ever step, step foot inside of one. And I was like, huh, okay, let me figure out. And I was like, how come there's never been a real origin story for the commercialization of teleportation. Like we've had like the fly is about like the inception of teleportation, right. but it wasn't like after the fly, nobody was gonna ever step foot in a teleporter. Yeah, and whenever so, you see it in science fiction, it's always past that experimental right, phase. It's right. always when it's safe to right. use, no matter what, whether it's Stargate or Star Trek. Or, right, or, or, or so I was like, what okay, what, why don't we do a story that's like really set in the time, just as like teleportation is becoming commercialized and adopted by society as a means of transportation. You know, like, it was still sort of like, there's a sense of wonder of how, you know, how it works. And a lot of people almost don't care how it works just because we need it. I mean, uh -huh. to go to anybody in, in their commute and ask them like, would you, if, I didn't, if, if you had to vaporize yourself and print yourself out somewhere, would you do it? Would you do it? <laughs> if it meant like not having your two-hour commute every day. 
they probably would. Okay, you guys are probably here. See, the Army's help. here. They're already the they're onto us. The flying, flying over. They don't like Tal science. No. Um, so that was, uh, was that really the inspiration? But that one of the things that started you was the Force Awakens trailer with all the lens flare? Not or? the Force Awakens. The, that's Star Wars. The, mine was the J.J. Abrams reboot of Star Trek. Okay. I just, the first Force Awakens trailer, I remember there was, Twitter went crazy with all the lens flare in that first trailer. He so loves, well, he loves the lens yeah, flare. So, that guy. It's the same director, yeah. so obviously well, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could be any J.J. Abrams. <laughs> could, could have been Super be, 8. There's uh, going to be a... No, but anyway, yeah, so the teleportation... Uh, I don't think is there teleportation in Star Wars? Do, do people teleport? No, they still no, have to take they take shuttles everywhere. They 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 do not. They uh, can they can force project, whatever yes, that is. Yes, they can. Yeah, they can. Are you dark side or are you? Uh, no, I'm uh, no, I'm not dark side. I'm not either. My my favorite character actually is uh, so I'm not I'm, I'm uh, people are gonna beat me up. But I don't remember the name, but like in uh, in Rogue One, I really liked the guy who used to work like the scientist who ends up dying. You know, was, was mad. Maz Mikkelsen, the the dad. The dad. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite character. Yeah. Like, that's that's me. Like you know, one day you might wake up and realize you're working for the dark side. Yeah. And then do something about it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like, you know, because especially the the earlier, this is the first time where um, you saw somebody with a personal struggle because you know the earlier movies. Um, was always like black and white. Black and white, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was like somebody who woke up one day and said, "This is wrong, and I got to get out of right. here." You know. So here we here we are at SDCC. Yes. And what brought you here is yes. you wrote the punch escrow. I did. And you entered a contest on Inkshares, right? Yeah, uh, Geek and Sundries. Yeah. So Inkshares was actually ancillary to the process at the time. Uh, I'd, I'd actually had a, a publishing deal already, uh, and one of the things that really frustrated me. So I'm a marketer in my day job. Uh-huh. And when they, when the publisher shared the marketing plan with me, I, it, it was like absurd. Like, yeah. I was like, it had to do with like end caps and like newspaper advertisements and trade magazines. And like, I wrote this book for like geeks and nerds. It's and, about you know, science like, fiction, and there's this nothing. Is, like, where? How is anybody going to find this yeah. book? Yeah, that's a and, little too old school. And uh, and I was like, specifically, I asked. The, the, the reason this is so germane, and like, there's there's so many things that are kismet to this book being done the way it is. Because so one of the questions I asked them was like, "How are you going to get somebody on Signal Boost to boost this book?" Yeah. Like, what's your plan? Ah, that's smart. That's really smart. And and uh, I mean, long. And then when Geek and Sundry, like the contest came, I was like, "This is my audience. Like, if I can publish this book under the Geek and Sundry umbrella, I can make sure that the people I wrote this book for read it." Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I. To me, that was the the key. Was it a? Um could you follow the results while they were judging, or was did you not know you won until they finally released the winners? You'd, I knew I was one of the top three. Yeah. But I didn't know that I won until they announced it. Yeah. And uh, I was shitting bricks. I frankly. can't imagine. And then, uh, it, it, and and not long after that, Lionsgate obtained the film rights, and not just for in a competitive bidding cycle. It was crazy. Yeah. But, but it's not just if. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not just the film rights to the Punches for the first book. It's to the world of, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Yep. So that means um, other like like a TV series or other books, uh, uh, sequels. I mean, may, look, everything is every. I would say, it's. I'll, let me answer that question with a statement. <laughs> 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 I mean, look, we don't know what this book's going to do yet because it hasn't come out yet. I'm right. glad there's so much interest in it. And yeah. My my Lionsgate certainly has the rights to do a lot of things with it if it's successful. 
Yes, and they're going to wait and see yeah. if, if, if it's successful, of course. But it's very exciting. It's very exciting that they have a director yeah. interested. I mean, in amazing well. director. I mean, James Bowman. Uh, uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass, and one of my favorite things. Fly of the Concords, right? Come on. I mean, like that's my like creator writer. When they told me Flight of the Concords. When they told me that, if you think about Flight of the Concords, like love that show. If you imagine reading a synopsis for that show, yeah. and because it, it sounds dismal. Yeah. It's like two guys from New Zealand are living in terrible squalor in New York while barely barely keeping it together as a band. Yes, yes. It sounds terrible. It does, it sounds very, it sounds that like, sounds bleak. It sounds, like, it, it sounds like Tenacious D on Downers, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, but like, Bowman managed to, to create this world that, that you know, that the Flight of the Concords guys exist in. Yeah. That makes everything so positive. Like every every episode of Fly of the Concords ends with a smile. Absolutely. And you're like, it's such a. But every the plot is terrible. I mean, yeah. like it's 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 scary. It's like you know, it's like all these bad things happen, but somehow these two guys just manage to persevere. They keep going. Uh, and with humor. With humor and, and awesome, catchy songs. Yeah. So as well. I, I just I just love Fly of the Concords, and I think that also what he did with the Muppets reboot was phenomenal. I did not um, see those. Uh, I so. I was very, very excited about him. Yeah. I, I feel like the reason I, I needed a director, I cared less about a director who got sci-fi uh -huh. and more of a director that, that understood how to play uh, smart-ass humor. Which there's a lot in this book. Joel Byram, I mean, that, he's, he's a very funny guy right. as well. And um, yeah, I think that's a good choice. I, I, I hope that all works out. And you've got very, I mean, I, I'm sure you've been told this, all of the characters in the book are very well-rounded. Thank you. You know, Sylvia, uh, Joel's uh, wife is a very interesting person. You know, um, if we could just spend one second on that, that's probably the most amazing thing about this book, that people get that, because I think I spent so much effort on developing Sylvia as a three-dimensional character, and, and all the women in the book are, are you know, are, are fully developed. Yeah. None of them are caricatures, and, and, um, and that's really important to me. I think, Which I think, is very important to your audience, too. Yeah. Your audience would smell that right away. I think so. I mean, you still read books where... Uh, Women are, are, are you know, are just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even worse, they're, they're not even there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and uh, I really felt very strongly about that. I mean, actually, one of the, my favorite recent reboots or, or like live action is the Beauty and the Beast remake. And and Belle is so much stronger. Yeah. In the live action movie than she is in the cartoon, and that really speaks to our, I think, to the, the evolution of the female so character. And I think that speaks a lot to uh, fan engagement as well. I think women, especially, um, I mean, I've been banging the drum for, for a long time. I'm older than, uh, uh, I'm not in my 20s, I'll just say that. Um, they've been very vocal through social media, through campaigns. Um, we, have yeah, we have a How female doctor. How awesome is that? That was just announced. It's, I was it, like, I was jumping off the walls. And, like, and I was waiting for the vitriol. And I, I almost feel like there is obviously some vitriol. But like, I love how the, if you take the Twitter sphere, that could, that could be, this is the same area like where Gamer Game, Gamergate happened. And yeah, like, yeah. And I feel like the entire Twitter sphere turned on the people who, were, who had yeah, issue. It's like, like, we don't have time for you right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like I mean, I, 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 amazing. You know, I tweeted, you know, for every one sad boy who is upset with the new casting, there are three girls or women that are now new audience members. So your bitchin's not going to make it go away. Some of you are just trolls to begin with, and 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 also you know, two other and like and two guys who are devoted do fans that are absolutely thrilled that the doctor yeah. is female because oh, yeah. 
you know, like the I'm doctor so, has no gender, so you know, I mean, right? I mean, he's oh, it, it, the character. I'm so excited. I can't I wait. I, think I, can't I can't wait, wait for the Christmas special. It's like amazing. I can't wait. It's like, you know, hold your criticism and let's see what the new showrunner I'm good and to the be new actress are going to do. And I'm very, very, very excited about it. And you're looking in the past couple of years where we've had Ray, we've had Furiosa. My daughters are going you know. as Ray tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean, before Ray even came out, the Comic-Con before that, there were people, because photos had been released, images of Ray. There are the people doing Ray cosplay. You know, people are just... You put those out there, and, and it, it really does empower young ladies to want more. And I think Disney, who owns Marvel and the Star Wars franchise, they see that. Yeah. And, and the money, thankfully, the money is there. So those parts of the organizations will. Speaking of organizations, I love how corporations are so strong. Yes. Even McDonald's is one of the most powerful. <laughs> That's a great story when you guys read this book, is, is how McDonald's got to be one of the most powerful That's corporations the, uh, in the physicists, book. that's their favorite part. Oh, really? Physi like when you talk to I physicists, the Big Mac of Theseus, like that's like their favorite chapter. It, it's, it's, I, I believed every second of it. <laughs> I believed every second of it. It was fantastic. So um, after SDC, are you off on a book tour? What's yeah, I start my book tour. I'm doing like I think 12 or 13 cities. Uh, it's going to be crazy because my family's coming with me to like half of them. Wow. <laughs> it's going to be a big family trip. Yeah, uh, we'll see. You know, my daughters are still kind of trying to understand what this means, you know. Right. Uh, and and I, I'm just trying, you know, my, my entire approach towards it is just like, you know, we're very lucky and, and everything that's happening is luck and let's just have a good time, yeah. you know. And, and I said at the end, every day I tell Iris, I'm like, I, I did what you asked me to do. You know, I wrote a book that hopefully makes people happy, you know. It's, well, you know, this is a great thing for both your daughters to see, you know, is you went out, you did something you tried and... You've had success. Yeah. This is great. You know, you followed something, and you, you followed your gut, and you created something, and, and that's a great lesson. And I loved, you know, I loved the way we even we met, you know, that, that you wrote an article, and, and I was able to reach out. And, yeah. and one of the cool things about this is, like, I'm meeting so many cool people who are, who are um, into the stuff I'm writing about. Yeah. And it, that's very encouraging. I mean, yeah. reading an article on a site called Geek Girl about you know, about the book and being able to interact uh, with the person running the site and, and leading to meeting them. At, I mean, all, all this stuff, if you had asked me a year ago where mm -hmm. I saw myself, you know, a year from that day, here having an interview with you talking about girl power and sci-fi is like, I, I never would have even yeah. imagined it, you it's, know, it's, it's, it's awesome. Fantastic. So, um, how are you, I, I don't, how are you like, are you freaking out inside right now? Just because you have, not just because You've already kind of explained how you feel. In the book, is yeah. gonna, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. Yeah. But with all this promotion you're going to do, and then when it's you surreal. start... It's surreal. It's not yeah, freak yeah. out. It's, it's more it's, of a surreal thing. Right. It's like, it's... Uh, I, I was telling my wife, I mean, I had like a little breakdown the other night where it's like, <laughs> I feel like really imposter syndrome because I had an interview um, with... I had an interview with, with somebody who was, uh, was reviewing the, the magazine, I mean, the, the book for a magazine, and she... She confided in me that she she had a very personal experience. She had an abortion at a young age. Uh -huh. and, and one of the things that that she read about in the book was that the, the, Sylvia had had an abortion. And, and she's like, what, what was amazing to me, the reason we're here talking is because this is Joel writing about his wife. There's zero stigma in his description of what happened to her. Yeah. He, he's, he, in fact, his sorrow for her feelings and what she right. would have gone through. There's zero mention of any societal stigma, either from her family yeah. or from anybody else around her. It was a decision that she made, that she struggled with, 
that, that she internalized. Right. And he respects her. There's no dogma around her decision. Right. And she's like, that's the future I want to imagine. And I said, yeah, that's, it's amazing to me because, you know, it's not, it's not, that particular part is not crucial to the plot. It's crucial no. to the vision of the future, yes. the world building. And it's a, that that is when I was. It was moved. also crucial to what you're saying. How important it is for you to write a three-dimensional character. Right. I mean, we know so much about Sylvia. It, well, it's. it's I, I mean, that's why I had started this imposter syndrome, like, yeah. where I'm like, I, I didn't write that part in order to to sort of try to try to define morality in the future or whatever. It was a it was a plot device. Yeah. The plot device was necessary because I needed Sylvia to be the kind of right. person who's not stigmatized for any of her personal decisions, you know? Well, I think that happens quite often with with books and films and some music, you know, especially books. Um, I've read books and they've struck me in a certain way and I'll talk to a friend about, about that and it's like, oh, I did not see that at all. Right. You know, we as consumers of art, you know, it means to us what it means to us. So right. while you were writing it, I think you're probably on your book tour when you, people start tweeting you after they read the book, you're gonna find different parts of the book that meant a lot to people that you weren't expecting, and that's, that's the that's the hardest part. You asked me like, what's the weirdest so part? That's hard for you because when people find something in there that I wrote as a plot device that I didn't, I, I mean, I gave it thought, but I probably not as much as I should have. Uh -huh. Well, you know, uh, you should think of it as art, though. That's what art is. Yeah. You know, you couldn't have known that. You know, people yeah. painting a painting can't know what it, the you know Mona Lisa. Yeah, you, you didn't know yeah. it was going to mean to all those people. Right. You know, yeah. but. It's in your world. So that's, you know? that's what I mean. The Hollywood stuff is weird and it's existential. Yeah. It's like a little, it's like you know, but the people I'm dealing with in Hollywood are very very good at dealing with people like me. Yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like like all like Howie Sanders at UTA. They're just used to it. like these are the people who break new talent. So they already know what to, like they've already got like the the zen of how to deal with an emerging artist. Like yeah. you know, and yeah. make them feel good. Um, so that part. There was certainly this real process of the auction where, like, you know, all these, like, studio heads are, like, mm -hmm. kind of being so, like, I read your book three times and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you did? There's, like, five people in the world who have this book, I thought. Because <laughs> so it's, like, <laughs> so it's, it's just a, weird. It's, it's an interesting space you're in right now, interesting journey. I'm really excited for you. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, I, it's stoked. I'm, I'm excited really that you're excited. excited. Yeah, and I'm excited that there may be sequels. And I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I'd like to see one. I don't know what you're planning, but I'd like to see a sequel. We're, so the the only thing I could say about that is that there's a lot of there's a lot of the world in which Joe lives in that we haven't seen, um, yeah. the, you know. And I think part of what I'm doing is uh, rather than just jump into a sequel, I'm spending a lot more time because the first three years of writing this book was was actually research. I just I was doing lots and lots of you know discovery and and uh, and so part of the part of the work now is like you know what else is in this world? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a um, lot. There's a lot, yeah. yeah. Like one of the elements, for example, that uh, that, that got kind of got cut off in the developmental editing process is, you know, what what is the state of like how does actual how does law happen uh -huh. in in twenty one forty seven? Like what you know how do we deal with legalist situations between corporations if there's no government? Yeah. You know, like so yeah. things like that. Wow, I'm, I, that's very exciting, and I'm sure that you've got a deep, deep well. <laughs> to grab those stories we'll from. see i think it'll be great i hope so um thank you so much for sitting down with me tal i loved it uh, it was very I, I was really excited i was really this month, the one interview i was really looking forward to at comic-con i'm glad we got to finally meet in person uh now it's time for you to sign my book yes 
So thanks for si sitting with me. Uh, thank you for kneeling the whole time, actually. <laughs> of course, yes. Well, I, I appreciate when, it. When one uh, kneels before odd, yes. good things happen. I do give my guests a complimentary ice pack so you can sit down <laughs> with, with your knees for a while. That's good. Yeah, I do that. Ice my knees. All right. Have a great con. All right. Thanks. Supplicants, you may now rise. The merciful odd has chosen to spare you. Please exit the internet to your left.